Welcome to the Lioness Queen podcast. Your host, Reverend Dr. Marisha, founder, speaker, spiritual coach, and licensed minister, shares how she overcame the emotional trauma from divorce with her faith in God. Now let's jump into your daily dose of letting go of the past and living totally residue free. Here's your host, Reverend Dr. Marisha. Welcome back. Welcome back. Now I'm excited to um, excited about this episode this week because we are highlighting another lioness queen, Miss Sarah Geringer, who is a Christian author, blogger, speaker, artist, a woman of God who loves helping women find peace in God's word. Her latest book, Transforming Your Thought Life, can be found on Amazon with other books that she has written, all geared toward helping women really be the best that they can be. This is truly a woman who is walking out her purpose for the kingdom. Welcome, Sarah Geringer. Thank you so much, Marisha. I'm so glad to be here. I am glad too. So let's go ahead and get right into the show where normally I start off with a poem or quote. And this one I actually found from Pinterest, which really will relate to our theme for the day. And the quote says, a child's shoulders were not built to bear the weight of their parents' choices. And so today we are discussing the trauma children experience from a divorce Um, And so what I'm going to do is ask my guest if she would start us off with what was the weight or should I say the experience she had as a child that devastated her from her parents' choice of the divorce? Well, I have a photographic memory and the first memory I have is of a blizzard that hit our area in February 1979. Um, I was 16 months old and I remember uh, standing in front of the window. Our couch was there so I was up on my tippy toes in my footy PJs looking out and all I could see is white. My mom was on the phone, a corded phone, uh, about a 50-foot long cord at the time, and uh, she was calling people because my dad was walking out in that uh, two feet of snow to uh, the family farm about five miles away to check on the cattle so they wouldn't freeze to death. And I remember wondering, even as just a baby girl, if I would ever see my daddy again. Now that was before my parents were divorced. I was four years old when that happened. Um, And then that awful memory felt like it was uh, reliving itself. One night uh, when my dad was supposed to come home and we were going to uh, go out and enjoy a meal together at a Chinese restaurant and he didn't come home. And of course, this was in the days before cell phones. So I remember having to eat bologna and cheese for dinner, which would normally be a treat for me. uh, But that was a letdown because I was looking forward to the restaurant meal. I remember changing out of our 
nice uh, clothes that we had on, my sister and I. I was four and she was two. And um, having to put PJs on. And then I remember uh, after we went to bed that my mom was again on the phone calling people, trying to rally them for help because she didn't know where he was. Well, it turned out that he was with another woman and that was the last straw, so to speak, in my parents' marriage. And just within a few weeks uh, later, I remember uh, the day that he left. So the night that he didn't come home, you know, I, again, I felt like, am I ever going to see him again? Is he dead? Is he, that's what my mom was thinking. Maybe he had had a car wreck or something like that, but, uh, he was actually making poor choices to, uh, end the marriage because of infidelity. And then the day that he left, I remember seeing him cry for the first time. And that was very difficult. Um, and he walked away. And once he was gone, all three of us went back to our beds and cried in, in isolation, basically. And I remember feeling, um, unlike many children of divorce, I just had an innate sense, even though I was only four years old, that my parents were never going to get back together. Uh, but I told myself just as that little girl laying in her bed crying that it didn't have to be that way for me someday, someday I could make different choices and it wouldn't have to be that way for me. So I think that, uh, God enabled me to have those photographic memories well, to aid in my own healing eventually, but also I think he wants me to kind of be a spokesperson for uh, children of divorce, that I know they have these memories buried in them, um, and they can't really get healing for them unless they start processing them and giving them over to the Lord and letting him work in their hearts. So, um, those are some of my earliest memories of what happened. So it's so amazing that you have a photographic memory. Cause I, I don't, uh, especially when I was a little girl, I definitely, I have a hard time remembering what I did yesterday, but it's so interesting how certain circumstances and experiences, I would say, can leave an imprint on our subconscious, even as young as how you experience and remember it, right? And so what were some things that you internalized from that experience? So from the divorce um, and how everything played out um, from what your mom did or didn't do, from what your dad did or didn't do, what you know? What what was left in your subconscious that really you feel kind of impacted you? I think that knowing infidelity was wrong uh, really shaped um, me in both good ways and bad ways. Um, I knew because I, our family went to church and I knew the Ten Commandments and I had a little bracelet that had the Ten Commandments and charms and I knew the one that said you shall not commit adultery. Now, a four-year-old doesn't 
have a full understanding of what adultery is, but I think that even children know and and want their mommy and their daddy to stay together, and nobody else should be in that picture. I think that's about the understanding I have. So when my dad uh, remarried just a few months after he moved out, I knew the woman he was marrying was the one he was with the night that we were wanting him to come home, the night we were so afraid that he was hurt or dead. Uh, That was just a trauma I didn't um, know how to navigate very well. How can I... I know the Bible says I'm supposed to forgive, but this... This person feels like my enemy. This person feels like the person who destroyed, destroyed our home, um, home with a capital H, you know? And so, um, I remember what happened was, uh, we were living in the basement of my dad's parents' home. So they were very gracious and they allowed my mom and my sister and I to stay there for a few years until she financially got on her feet and was able to buy her own home. But of course, you can imagine that caused tension and confusion because it was as if they were choosing the daughter-in-law over the son. And uh, that was hard for everyone involved. Uh, But I think my grandparents did that because they wanted the best for their grandchildren. And, And that made a huge impact on me. So I remember when my dad got married and I drove uh, or I rode in the car with them to the church with my grandma and grandpa and my aunt who was also living at home. And grandma and grandpa said, this is going to be really hard. Um, My sister and I were flower girls. Uh, You're going to have to walk up the aisle, but you will sit with us and we will be there for you. You just have to get this over with. And, uh, so it was hard. I remember every single person looking at us and it wasn't happy. And I knew weddings were supposed to be happy, but the look on their faces was sadness and pity. And I, I hated all that attention being on me as an introvert. No, no introvert really likes to be the person in the room that everyone's looking at anyway. Uh, but especially everyone feeling sorry for you, and it was it was an awful moment. And then I had to m- witness, well, the definite final end of my parents' marriage because my dad was marrying someone else. And uh, so that was really difficult for me. Uh, I, there was a lot of symbolism in that for me in terms of kind of, I can trust my grandparents. I can't trust my father. Um, you know, that just, my dad was in a really difficult place. Uh, he, as I grew up, um, he, you know, shared about his own mother wound. Um, he was a child of divorce himself. Uh, so, he had a lot of things he was dealing with and he took responsibility for his actions. Um, he, he didn't blame anyone but himself for the mess that it caused for all of us. Um, and that was good that he was honest about that because it allowed me to forgive him 
easier and show him compassion for his poor choices that he had made. Um, but it, I don't think I've ever gotten over that because, um, even though the divorce is, well, um, it'll be almost 40 years ago in a couple years and I still deal with it often, often. Um, and I think it's just because having that fear of abandonment from your parents, the person that you should trust the most in your whole world is, is devastating. And it took many years for God to heal that wound and step in as my perfect heavenly father that I could trust no matter what. And, um, also kind of tear down these, um, relationship idols that I had with my family members. Uh, I do feel like all of us yearn for our families to be trustworthy, but I have not met a single person who hasn't been hurt by someone in their family, Mm -hmm. whether they're from a divorced family or not. And I think that the, the grace in those situations is because God can fill in those gaps for us and he, he can fill in those gaps for us. And he also helps us fill in those gaps through the body of Christ. So other Christians that can minister to us as a father figure or a mother figure or some other family member that is not meeting our needs the way that they should do. Mm -hmm. So I know you mentioned that your dad remarried and you were in the wedding. And I think that's also another, um, I would call wound that a lot of children um, have a wound from a parent who, you know, moved on, whether it was too fast or it wasn't. It still wasn't their parents being together. And then you have what you call a blended family. And so how was that um, experience for you um, with the blended family, the new wife? And how, how, how was that for you as a child? Well, I can, I can speak in, in terms of contrast. And I'll say the positive things first. Uh, when I said that we lived in the basement of our grandparents' home, that was my paternal grandfather and, technically speaking, my step-grandmother. So they had gotten married um, when my dad was 15 years old, I believe. Uh, so my step-grandmother was the model of a Christian person. Uh, she was generous. Um, I never felt like she treated me any differently from someone who would have been her blood relative. Uh, generous, kind, loving, uh, met us where we were, played with us, um, showed us affection. So she was uh, a superstar when it comes to a step relative. Now, 
my dad's wife, uh, his second wife, I don't think that she came into the marriage uh, intending to be a step-parent at all. I, I, I can't speak for what was going on in her mind, but I think there are many people that get involved in a relationship and they don't really think about anybody besides themselves. And I think she wasn't thinking of that as a package deal. And so when my sister and I had visits, it, I felt as if I was in the way. And um, I don't think that she had very positive things to say. I do have a memory of one time we were there uh, playing in our bedroom and my dad was gone and she was there and the cleaning lady was there and she was venting to the cleaning lady about what a horrible person my mother was. Mm. And I was listening through the bedroom door. Oh, wow. And uh, it was... Very, it made me very angry. Uh, but I knew if I said anything to her, um, it would it would be a disaster. So I just held it in until I went home and I told my mom. And remember, this is the person who broke up the marriage. So my mom was not very happy about that. And then the next time that we visited... I remember that my dad called us in and he said, you know, she wants to say something to you and she apologized and I could tell by her body language and I was probably six or seven years old when this happened. She wasn't sorry. And, um, you know, children are the best lie detectors in the universe. (laughs) They They just know when you're lying to them. And so what that unfortunately did, it... I just could never trust her. And um, I think shortly after that, and I haven't really pieced this together until I was an adult, uh, they hosted a Halloween party. And in front of her friends, I think this was probably her way of getting back at me for telling on her. She said, come give me a kiss. And we had never, in in a span of several years, been physically affectionate at all and uh you know that was that was just wrong what she did and it made me feel ashamed and like I couldn't express myself um and I would have had to stand up in front of a room of adults at a party you know it was too it was too much pressure for me to handle Um, as a child. And I think the takeaways that I can, that's just one, those are just two stories of many, you know, that I could tell. And I think what I'm trying to say is I, I'm grateful that I, I knew, um, in my heart as a child that there were good, godly, loving step parents out there that didn't fit the mold of the evil stepmother in the Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not as common, unfortunately. Um, but I would say if any of your listeners are um, 
in blended families, uh, just it's very important not to ever, ever undercut the um, mother of the parents or mother of the children, uh, not to say anything that's going to uh, make you look like the bad guy. Um, and not to force them to do anything that's really against their will. Because um, it just won't bode well for your relationship. And that's very difficult for children to overcome those um, experiences, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. I It's so interesting how I think a lot of... And I have no idea like why... Uh, I'm going to talk, I think, this for women. Um, A lot of women feel threatened. In some type of way, they feel threatened by the children because they think that the children will be the bridge to their husband going back to, you know, the mother of their children. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. so they feel threatened by the child. So instead of being an adult, and being mature and having a discussion to talk with your significant other about what you're feeling, you take it out on the children. And so many children are subjected, I mean, to so much stuff that is really cruel and mean and just things that they shouldn't even be, you know, either involved with or around. But it's all because that woman feels threatened. And so I think in that, in that piece of of feeling that way, one, they have the weight of their parents aren't together. Mm -hmm. Two, they're dealing with how the information was dealt with, with the child. Three, they could be dealing with a blended family. Four, there, there could be a lot of various things that have been... Um, almost like a handprint or an imprint placed on their subconscious because of choices that the parents made. And so you have all of these things coming at children who are in this situation. And so the question is, how do they cope? So how did you, as a child, um, how did you cope with all of this that was going on? Well, I, I thank God that um, church was very important. Uh, my grandparents and my mom were very involved at church, and then my school was connected to the church. So uh, being um, kind of immersed in that world uh, and in a small class of about 24 students, they felt like the family and they were imperfect too, but they kind of felt like a family to me. And I felt safe at church. Um, it was, a you know, mainstream Protestant, um, denomination. So with the liturgical form of worship and, um, for me as a child, that was very comforting because it was very predictable. 
I knew what we were going to sing. I knew the creeds we were going to say. I knew the pattern we were going to follow. And I needed that sense of security as a child because my home life felt chaotic. Uh, And I remember that uh, I really had a close relationship with my Heavenly Father first. And I think of the Christians that I've talked to, I think many people first come to Jesus because he was a person as well as God. So he's Mm. easy to relate to, you know, and then maybe the Holy Spirit, depending on which denomination they are, because some emphasize the Holy Spirit more than others. And for a lot of us, the father is the last one that we relate to because we tend to see our father God through the lens of how we looked at our earthly fathers. And many of us, you know, experience brokenness in that regard. But God, in his grace to me, he met me as my father first. And I think some of it had to do with, with the denomination that I grew up in. Um, we had a very high view of God, of his sovereignty, of his majesty, of his holiness. Mm. And thinking about, you know, I, I just remember going into the church which had a huge high ceilings and the, you know, stained glass windows. And they had a, a candle that hung down and it was, they always kept it lit and it was a symbol of the ever seeing eye of God. And I know that that can be threatening to a lot of people. It's scary, you know? Um, but for me, it was hugely comforting to know that someone is way bigger than me and watching over me and protecting me from harm. That was a huge comfort to me. And those are fatherly qualities to have. So I think that's how I started relating to God first. And uh, I remember I was in fourth or fifth grade. And uh, on Fridays, the pastor would come and teach our religion classes rather than our teacher. And uh, so he came in one day and he, he was talking about a passage where Jesus says, It's a really hard scripture even for us adults to understand. But Jesus says, unless you hate your father and your mother, sister, brother, you can't follow me. Mm -hmm. And of course, what Jesus is actually saying, he's not encouraging us to hate people. He's saying that our love for him should be so great that it, by comparison, it almost looks as if we despise our relationships on earth. And I mean, that's, you know, that's a giant concept to try to explain to a fourth grader. But um, he did a really good job. And he said, you know, basically, um, we need to love God more than anybody else. You need to love him more than your dad, than your mom, than your grandmas and grandpas and your brothers and sisters, anybody. God is supposed to be in first place. Mm-hmm. And so I remember going home that night, you know, as a girl and praying and crying. And I said, you know, God, 
I don't think I love you more than mommy or daddy yet, but I want to. Mm. And I think that he used that prayer to start dismantling that dysfunction, that unhealthy dependence on human relationships that I had and uh, start replacing uh, those hurts and fears with his love and his security and his strength. So that is how I coped. And I think, you know, there were, there were some negative coping skills too. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have talked about um, anger styles and I was a stuffer. So if, if conflict happened at dad's house, I didn't feel um, permission to share it when I got back home to mom's house and vice versa. If they were arguing about, um, you know, well, you need to tell your mom this or you need to tell your dad this. This is just the dumb things that adults do, you know, um, I just stuffed that anger instead of saying, why don't you tell her, you know, cause that would have been in my, um, good girl mind that would have been sassing them, you know, even though they deserve to hear it quite frankly. Um, and so by stuffing my anger for years and years and years and years, when I was in high school, it turned into a depression And I was entertaining suicidal thoughts. And I think it was partly because um, I was 16 when that um, dark season happened. My mom had been married. She remarried when I was 13 years old. And uh, there was a new dynamic in my home uh, where I lived with her and my stepfather. And I just wasn't able to process everything that was going on as a teenage girl. So I would go to my dad's house and that was not, um, that wasn't a safe place either. My dad was more worldly. Um, my mom was a Christian and involved in church, but neither of them were, um, safe places for me to just be myself. So what happened is my best friend who I had had since kindergarten, uh, moved away, and she she was the one person I felt like I could say anything to, uh, my safe person. And when she moved away, I felt hopeless. And so that's when I experienced that depression. And uh, one of the things that came out of that was uh, one, I talk about this in my book, um, that... One day I was laying in bed after school and contemplating what I was going to do. uh, And God just spoke to me and he said, I knew it was his voice because I had grown up, you know, that Jesus says my sheep know my voice. So I knew his voice from studying the Bible and going to a Christian school my whole life. And he just, the Holy Spirit just said, I don't want you to think these thoughts anymore. You're done thinking like this. And I knew it was, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so real 
and mm-hmm. powerful that I knew it was God. And my he healed me of that. Now, the problems weren't over with, but I didn't want to kill myself any longer. And I think it took God telling me, I knew that God wouldn't have spoken to me like that if he didn't care. You know, maybe I felt like everybody else didn't care, but I knew God did. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of helped me. It helped strengthen my relationship with God so that I could start moving in a direction of listening to him and wanting to please him rather than um, getting nothing out or not enough out of the relationships that I wanted from my family. And they just weren't able... I just watched a video called The Father Effect and it said, you know, uh, if your father hurt you, it's probably because he didn't have... uh, what you needed him to give. So we can't expect people to give things they don't have. Yeah. Yep. But that's hard for a child to understand. Uh, you know, a child wants love and affection and security uh, from their parents. And when their parents can't give that, they think something's wrong with them. Um, and that's what happened to me. That added to my depression, I think. But as God worked on me in my heart, in my mind, and my thoughts, I think he was showing me this is not really what was wrong with you. Mm-hmm. These are hurts that your family has carried for generations, but I can free you from this. Mm-hmm. You, you can't keep looking to them to give you things that they don't have, but you mm-hmm. can look to me as your provider um, and the one who your your shepherd, you know, um, and that did help me cope. Um, and later, uh, when I was in my thirties, um, well, I received Christian counseling. I had um, gotten married uh, when I was twenty three to another child of divorce. Um, thinking, well, we, we get each other because we've gone through the same uh, struggles, which was true, but neither of us was healed and neither of us was healthy or whole going into the marriage. So it caused a lot of problems, all the baggage we were bringing to it, both of us. So when I was in my thirties, I entered um, five years of counseling with a Christian counselor. And that is when I really began to unpack all those things, um, all those problems from the years in the past. And I, I uh, regularly um, talk about receiving counseling. I know that people, there are people who have a stigma mm-hmm. against it. But yeah. um, even though God, I give God all the credit for healing me, Um, he used my Christian counselor as a tool for healing. Um, And I think that some of us really need that. We need that professional help. We need that um, third-party trusted perspective uh, to help us uh, unravel those 
um, problems so that we can get to a better place. And that's what my counselor did for me. So I wish I had received counseling back when I was a teenager and really struggling with um, Mm -hmm. those dark thoughts. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I was too afraid. I knew other teens at school who had gotten counseling and there was a, there was a strong, I think there was a stronger stigma against it in the mid nineties than there is now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a good thing. But I would say uh, to your listeners, if your child is showing any of the signs of depression, you can simply Google signs of depression and you'll see the list. Um, Get them to a counselor because you don't want them to end up in a, self-destructive cycle because of the pain they just don't know how to process on their own. Wow. So this is so key that the, the trauma that children experience, it, it doesn't just happen in that moment that it, it has the weight of caring throughout like you said into adulthood and so oftentimes parents do not because they're so hurt especially for women I would say we're so we love very hard and when someone walks out on us it is so traumatic and sometimes it's so hard for the women to process the hurt that they don't realize how much their children hurt. And then it, it it's hard for them even to help their children because they're hurt. And so the advice of, or, or the importance of children receiving therapy is so crucial because of the imprint that it leaves on our subconscious that it can impact and infiltrate other areas of our lives. And we don't know it all could be connected back to the divorce. And so I really, um, I really appreciate um, you sharing your story. But the one thing that I feel is really beautiful and I can't say all children get to this place or all children may not have this support, but the fact that you had that support from your church family is so crucial. And the beauty that I see in it all and how God really always had his hand on you and on your life was when you surrendered and you looked at him as your daddy. <laughs> That's what I call it. Yeah. And so you looked at him as your heavenly father and it gave you a different perspective and a perspective of how God sees us all. And so it helped you, even though it is a process, it, it helps you, it helped you to be more empathetic to your, your, your birth father. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beauty in it all. But when it comes to children, Children have a hard time coping. And so if you don't have, if you don't have a support system to really help you through it, especially your parents. And so, you know, I I know your mom, you know, loved you through it. 
But in the same regard, sometimes, like I said, moms are so hurt that they have a hard time even communicating with their children. You know what I mean? To to um, to work through it because it it we always say. I know we parents always say because this is something that my ex husband said to my son. You know, I'm not leaving you. I'm leaving your mom. You know, mm-hmm. but in the same regard, when they walk out the door and they don't come back, the actions show in a child's mind. You're leaving us. Right. And so it's so hard for children to process. And especially if that parent that leaves never comes back, never communicates with the child, never interacts with the child, never financially supports the child, it just makes the weight even greater. You know? Right. And so... Um, how would you say how how would you say or what do you feel like from that decision that your parents made of getting a divorce or really it was I mean honestly it was from dad but from that decision what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you as an adult I think one of the biggest challenges is fearing it happening again. Uh, Divorce is like a death that never goes away. Um, I've written a blog post about called how to deal with a living death. And it feels like a death that just keeps going on. And that doesn't sound, it's, it's illogical to say that. But it, it would be like as if you, you know, they used to have uh, a wake in like the front room and they'd keep the body in there for a few days for people to come visit. And then there would be a burial. But a divorce is like keeping that dead body in the front room for all eternity in terms of the family, you know, the family unit. And it never goes away. And I mean, it's, I still deal with it still almost 40 years later at Christmas, birthdays, you know, uh, having to explain to my kids now, yeah, we're related this way, you know, trying to explain the family tree to them. And there's still family tensions even now. Um, So I think seeing just how horribly devastating that was kind of like I mean I don't want to be melodramatic but it's kind of like a nuclear bomb you know there's a half-life after that you know for years and years and years there's effects in the groundwater and the um, crops and everything else that's what a divorce is like for a child Uh, nothing will ever be the same and so having that fear of abandonment um, affecting me, it's its really, I feel like it's at the core of my being. And uh, every argument I have in my marriage, that fear rears its head. Um, now that my children are teenagers, they're going to be dating and 
you mm-hmm. know, wanting to protect them from that and knowing that I really can't and shouldn't. I, sh- I need to let them spread their wings and make their own mistakes. But just that fear of repeating those mistakes, having seen just how devastating they are, uh, is very hard to live with. And in some ways, I think it has produced good because uh, infidelity ruined my husband's parents' marriage as well. So that has been something that he and I have uh, voraciously avoided. Um, Mm. However, I think that there's also a danger, uh, there was for me, in thinking, you know, if if I'm never going to do this, then I'm immune to it. And that's not true. Um, You're not immune to temptation, just because you say, I don't want to fall into the trap of infidelity and destroy my marriage. So it's just, it's been a lot to work through and thinking, I think once I became a parent, I saw this all over again in a new way. Like I almost had to grieve it again. Oh, wow. Because I was thinking, I have to... I have to grapple with the sin of judgmentalism. That's my, it's kind of my character flaw. I think all of us have a certain one that we gravitate toward. And I'm an Enneagram one, so that's a perfectionist. So perfectionists tend to heavily judge themselves and other people. That's what we, we have to grapple with that a lot. And so as a parent, I'm going through this and thinking, this is not that hard. You know, they, you show up, you do what you have to do, and get it done. You know, I'm I'm not going to ever not think about my kids, you know, and go off with some guy. Like, I couldn't imagine doing that, you know. So what I had to do was realize... You know, I have a choice. I can either continue to judge my parents and maybe my in-laws for their poor decisions, you know, that they made in the heat of moments, you know, that destroyed their marriages. I can either continue to judge them and, you know, not forgive them for the hurt that it eventually caused me, or I can choose to forgive and show compassion and simply learn from their negative examples, not in a judgmental way, but just saying, huh, I can see how poorly that turned out. And I definitely don't want to do that here. So it was a struggle I had to work through as a young mom and, um, coping with these skills. And I think, you know, uh, for me, for our family, as I said, the tensions have they've gone on and we've had just as much tension as adults as we had as children. That's very unfortunate, but that probably speaks to just how dysfunctional this situation is, as it is for many families. And so what I've decided to do for myself also is say, you know what, I don't have any control 
over who my children marry, um, if they marry into a blended family, if they divorce and then they remarry, you know, all those factors. I can't control that. But I can control the kind of um, mother of adult children I am. I can control the kind of mother-in-law that I'm going to be someday. I can control if, like, let's say my daughter marries a man who already has two children. I can control how I treat those children. I mean, I'm my kids are only 16, 14, and 12 right now. Like, but because I've been hurt so much by the fallout of divorce uh, on both sides of my family for generations, I'm trying to take notes, not, not criticizing and blaming and judging those who committed the offenses, but learning for myself of like, what can I do differently? Like, I want to, I want to just kind of internalize those lessons now so that when I'm in the heat of the moment later, um, being tempted to judge or say something off the cuff or whatever, uh, that I can practice, um, the self-control, uh, with the Holy Spirit's help because he doesn't want me to repeat these mistakes. He, I can be the catalyst of change that breaks this um, curse that's been over our family, but mm-hmm. it's going to take a, an enormous amount of help from God and a lot of um, introspection, a lot of humility, and a, a teachable spirit. So Sarah, you really hit on some great tips for my audience because um, I think this is this is really the root of helping our children deal with the separation and the divorce of that wound. I truly believe it is a wound that needs to be healed, um, and some of the things that you talked about oftentimes aren't done um but it's so key like you said building that um foundation and build building it on faith and providing your children with scripture to battle um their mindset and their thought their thought life constantly communicating with our children having those hard discussions Um, Like you said, admitting your faults um, because that, you know, faults children can see like children, like you said, they know who is real and who isn't. And so a lot of times they can discern things and you don't even have to say anything to them, but they can discern it and see it. But I think when you're so honest about your flaws, it helps them to understand. And it also paints a picture that we don't have to be perfect. God didn't God, God doesn't want us to be perfect because if he if if he created us to be perfect, we wouldn't need him. And so we are imperfect beings um and we do make mistakes and we do have flaws and God loves them both. You know, because we can always come to him and ask for forgiveness. And so when you can be transparent with your children about everything, 
it helps them to understand and gives them to tool, the tools to um, handle conflict resolution on their own when they're in relationships. And so that's, I think that's the one piece that we, that I've always um, tried to help with my own son is I'm trying to help him give him the tools he needs so he can be the husband and father that God wants him to be. And so being transparent with him, having those hard conversations with him, also helping him to understand generational curses and cycles. So for example, with my son, his dad didn't have a father in his life, um, emotionally, mentally, and psychologically. Physically, he was there, um, but he wasn't really there for his um his son and so as a result my ex didn't know how to be a father or a husband so there was no foundation there was no blueprint and so he just won it he just you know he tried to wing it and when you try to wing it and you don't study God's word to to really figure out what am I supposed to do um, when you don't read books about it you, you wing it and so when you when you wing it you know, you just don't really understand that general generational curse. You do what you know. You don't, you know, we, we oftentimes don't read books to be better mothers. We don't read books to be better fathers or even how to be one. And so what we do what we know. And so I'm, I try to connect um, the dots for my son so he could understand your father is just doing what he knows to do. And, and that not necessarily saying that that's right, but that's all he knows. And so we can't blame people when they don't know. We can't blame people when um, they've been hurt. And so when you can kind of connect the dots to four children, then they have a better understanding. Oh, this is why grandma does that. This is why granddad does that. To help give you a perspective and give you empathy right in order to understand that that wound goes deep you know and then you also mentioned routines especially um, going to church and having that connection um and i would say that family right so you had a family that really helped helped you with your walk with the lord that helped give you keys and tools you know, basically just to use the scripture to help that wound. Um, and then also you talked about therapy, um, which is something that I went through as well. And I truly believe that um, children need oftentimes someone else to talk to other than their parents. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a school counselor. Um, I work in a high school and I talk to so many young people. And they often say, I can't talk to my parents. And oftentimes we're so biased. We have, and oftentimes it's because we don't want to be transparent and honest about our own baggage and junk and stuff. And so children need an outlet. And so whatever that outlet is, um, whether it is someone in your church who definitely, um, has the, I would say, credentials 
to talk to your children as, as it relates to therapy and counseling, or if it's someone that you know in your community um, who can also do that. But it's so it's so essential because, like you said, you're an introvert, but introvert, but extroverts can do it too. We can bury our emotions and our feelings so deep that we we hide them, right? We put on this mask. And it's never dealt with. And then you blink and you're 40 years old and not really understanding the dynamics of the wound that happened when you were four or the wound that happened when you were 13. Um, and so all of these tips that you shared are, are so critical. Um, and the importance of doing it right when it happens right after it happens is so critical because that is the time when the wound is open the biggest right <laughs> you know it's open the biggest and so what what we don't want is interesting because my my um my husband had surgery last year and he was cutting his stomach and he had staples in certain parts but certain parts had, they had to leave open because they wanted the wound to heal from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so in the same regard with this wound that we have experienced as children, oftentimes the wound heals from outside in instead of inside out. And so when we deal with this wound when we're, when we're younger, Definitely, parents, you have to understand the pain and everything that you experience, your child has internalized in some form or fashion, but you have to use these strategies and tips so that that wound heals from inside out. And so this is really, I mean, this really has been an awesome uh, awesome experience talking with Sarah about her experiences, but also the things that she shared so that we can learn how to move forward, but also heal. And so I really want to thank you, Sarah, for coming on um, the Lioness Queen podcast. I truly believe that it has inspired a lot of women it has also helped a lot of women to rethink and really um, go back to the things that they experienced in their childhood and also look at their children now and see the areas where they need to help so that their children don't carry this over into their relationship so that is Sarah Garinger Garinger I say it right, Garinger. I want to say the G, like I, I really want to say the G really bad, but okay. Sarah, <laughs> I know. SarahGaringer.com, and her book is called Transforming Your Thought Life. Thank you so much, Sarah. We had an awesome time. I thank you for sharing. I thank you for um, just sharing your words of wisdom, your testimony. I thank you for your ministry and helping women. I also thank you for your passion for helping children um, who are in this situation where they're trying to deal with 
um, the trauma from the divorce of their parents and what their parents went through. And so I'm so appreciative. I thank you for your ministry. I truly believe other women will be impacted and healed. Children will be healed, but also even yourself as you pour out into others. I pray that God pours back into you. Amen. This is Reverend Dr. Marisha, your lioness queen. Let's go ahead and declare our weekly chant over our lives. Amen. Repeat after me. I am a lioness queen. God wants me to rise up. He wants me to take my rightful place. As the queen I am. He wants me to be residue free. Intentional in my fight. Stand on the word of God. Realize I am a masterpiece. I am. I am, I am enough. I am a lioness queen with a purpose. Amen, amen. Thank you for joining the Lioness Queen podcast. Please subscribe and write a review. You can find me on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even iHeartRadio. I would love to hear how this message empowered you. Come back next Tuesday at 3 p.m. for more from your Linus Queen.